Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. I'm your host, Chet Czar, back after a week off. Sometimes life gets too busy here, and I just have to take a week off. I can't deal with the stress of doing too much at once. One thing I'm trying to do in my old age is to not sweat the small stuff, and not to... um, you know, to, to take these kinds of breaks when I can and not getting too stressed out about it. Um, yeah. So I took a week off because I got my book hard at work on the very, very, very last bits. It looks so good. I can't even tell you. It's so much better even than the last iteration that we got where we made our final corrections. And there's still a few more I, I need to make on this next uh, round, but this really should be it. I know I said that last time, and I've probably said this like five times, but this is the process of of book designing. It's tedious as hell, but oh my God, it looks so good. It's so much better than I could have imagined, really. It's amazing. Mackie Osborne just did an incredible design uh, job on the design. It's unbelievable. I was just stunned. So I'm excited, excited that that's happening. Um, so today we've got an interview with Andrew Hawkins, who's an old friend of the show. He's an old friend of the Dark Art Society. He's an old, he's, you know, one of the early supporters of the Dark Art Society. and He's kind of been there <clears throat> the whole time we've been doing this. Very active in the community. And he's producing um, a documentary called Mental Health and Horror. And they have a Kickstarter right now. So if you go to Kickstarter and search mental health and horror it will come up it's got the the, it just got chosen for pick of the week or the projects we love or whatever kickstarter does it's really great and uh, i got interviewed for this i was their first interview and it's such a great concept uh for a documentary mental health and horror and and uh, how most of us use horror movies in a in a positive way uh to really help with our mental health and help process trauma and all kinds of different uh, things we do with it. So I just think it's a great idea. It's such a great idea for a documentary. I wanted to have Andrew come on and talk to him about it and uh, try and promote the Kickstarter because I just think it's important. I think it's very related to dark art, the dark art, whole dark art thing that we got going on here. Horror movies are definitely related and mental health and and everything that's uh you know we're all about so it's great great interview the interview was excellent andrew's an excellent interview very interesting and so that's coming up next as soon as i'm done talking so uh let's see let's get on with um oh as far as my week what have i been doing i'd like i said i've been dealing with the book i was finishing some studies i had another study sale um which happened today Today is, by the way, today is the 29th of June that I'm recording this. And uh, that went well so far. Anything not sold today to my patrons uh, will go public. So those will be available by the time you hear this, probably. Um, uh, So, yeah, if you want, uh, I always post new studies, new releases of mine on my patreon so if you want to join that it's uh, patreon.com slash chetzar and you can join for as little as a dollar a month it's great it's where 
people think I'm I I'm not like posting my work anymore, but it's not that I'm not posting, it's that I'm posting it all on Patreon. For the last three years I've been doing this. I've hardly been posting any in progress stuff on Instagram or Facebook. So that's where I mean if you go and join, you're gonna find three years worth of paintings you probably haven't seen. It's kind of insane. <clears throat> so anyway, I finished those studies, had this sale today, and um, gearing up to start painting for my solo show October 9th at Copro Gallery called Chaos. And um, now that my the studies are all done, I'm going to choose all of my favorites because I made a lot of studies, like 40 or something. It was kind of crazy. And... Um, so I can't do 40 paintings, I don't think, in time. So I'm going to choose just my favorites, and I'm going to start painting those. And, and the whole process is going to be documented on Patreon as I do them with live streams and time lapses and everything. So <clears throat> that's what I've been up to, and that's what's going on. Oh, and the other thing, I, I've i got my studio. I know I mentioned I was on this mad tear to organize my studio, and I just couldn't stop until it was done. And uh, I got my studio just really set up so nice now. I have to post a picture, maybe. I'll post it on Patreon or maybe on Instagram, too. Um, very organized. I've got everything organized for the first time in my life. It's really pretty exciting. So it's so comfortable to create new work now. So I'm definitely inspired to start painting. Uh, you know how it is when things are, are cleaned up. Normally, I feel that way when I just clean the studio. But this is, like, clean for me, anyway. It's not clean to most people's standards. But for me, it's very orderly. But mainly it's organized. Like if I I have, there's a place for everything. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like a whole new concept for me <laughs> at 53 years old. Pretty hilarious. Anyway, so that's what I've been up to. Um, let's get to the new subscribers because we've got a bunch of new subscribers this week. Um, if you want to join and support this podcast and become part of the community, the active community on Facebook and the private Facebook group, you can go to patreon.com slash dark art society. And again, you can join for just a dollar a month if you want. And uh, that goes to support this podcast and make it happen. So, all right, here's the new subscribers. We got, yeah, you'll get your name read too on the podcast. If you subscribe. Okay. We've got Christian Perez, who is an amazing painter tattooer and i believe he's going to be next week's guest um we've got indy thank you indy schmeidlin designs thank you very much orion west thank you orion and finally we've got steven saunders thank you steven thank you everybody for supporting everybody who supports you make this happen i always say it I definitely would not be doing this podcast without the, the support. I wouldn't be able to afford to take the time out to do it, to be honest. So you are all making it happen, and I'm really grateful, and I think the whole um, dark art community is grateful. Anyone that listens is grateful. So that's it. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, I could do the, the word, synesthesia word of the week for my Luxo. Luxogustical. I don't even know how to say it. It's a weird synesthesia where words have words and names have flavors. Um, <clears throat> anybody, I'm going to do Heidi today because that's a pretty strong one. Anyone named Heidi, please don't be offended because I cannot help the flavor or the 
smell of the names. They just are there. And Heidi is the smell of dog breath. Sorry, all the Heidi's out there, but uh, that's a strong one. I had to say it. All right. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Here we go. What's up, Andrew? Hello, Chet. Thanks for Thank coming you for having on. me on. This is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Now, I, I've, yeah, been on, yeah. I've been on I your show before. I've been on your show before, Freaky yeah, Phantoms. Yeah, you've been on Freaky Phantoms a couple of times. Yeah, uh, yeah. We talked about yeah. Devo once, which was amazing. Oh, my God. That's still one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> and the thing is, I remember link that the last the couple of times I was driving from uh, the Inland Northwest down to your neck of L.A., just listening to Devo back and forth and all the recommendations that you had from, you know, <laughs> We Are Not Men and, oh, man, uh, so many, so many good classics. So many good, so many good, good, good songs. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, perfect. I, I thought it was a perfect op- opportunity since you have a new movie you're producing and it's being kickstarted right now. So, yeah, you're in it. And I'm in it. <laughs> so there's that. There's that. <laughs> I did my interview already. It was great. Uh, the director was awesome. The whole setup was awesome. The people, you know, you had the, you had the, uh, the. I, I thought the the on set therapist was a really cool idea because you're interviewing people yeah. about. I don't know if I, that's okay to talk about. Or Absolutely, not. yeah. But, I, but yeah. it was it was like I uh, I got there. Shane is doing deep. Shane Isaacowski is doing uh, DP, which is awesome. Um, but it was a, a very cool vibe, and um, it was—it's it, kind of surprised me that you said, "Oh, this this is a—you know—I'm not sure what you called her. If you called her a therapist or, or not?" Yeah, I—I I talked about. Uh, so I'll, I'll get into it uh, yeah. for the the documentary that we're doing, mental health and horror. Yes, uh, and horror. we are doing on camera uh, sit down interviews with everyone who has something to say about this discussion and the subject. Uh, who's from you know the film industry from the horror world um, we have people who are just even horror fans and there's a huge dark art presence mm-hmm. in the documentary yeah for uh, sure. which I was so honored to have you join us for the first day of shooting uh, to wrap our official first day of oh, interviews of you being there was just the best <laughs> um, but one of my producers uh, BJ Colangelo she is a practicing counselor she's a certified counselor and uh, she is there for essentially aftercare because if we have someone sitting in and they start talking about something that goes really deep and they bring up some stuff that they haven't dealt with in a long time and it relates to anything like potentially trauma or depression or Mm -hmm. uh, abuse or anything like that and they need somebody to talk to we have her there to basically be that shoulder if they need to step away from the camera for a couple of minutes or if they need that after they're completely done with their interview because you know we're doing this in good faith and we want this to be something that is very centered around the mental health world and medical providers and that's a huge uh, part of what we're doing because that's very much the core of the discussion about how horror can help people right right yeah so she's a producer also yeah, yeah. Oh, She's one of my uh, awesome. lead line producers. She's there with uh, Zena Dixon, and everyone can find her online. You can go on YouTube and see her. Real Queen of Horror. Zena's amazing. She works with Bloody Disgusting. She does the Bloody Disgusting podcast with Megan oh, Navarro. Cool. 
And then our third lead line producer is Alice Collins. And she's another writer. She's done a ton of great work over the years. And that's kind of our, our core team. And then I'm an executive producer along with my business partner, Jonathan Barkhan. And then we've also got David Lawson Jr. from Rustic Pictures, who's on board for the, uh, for the executive producer co-production team role. And it's just crazy. We've been doing so much since this launched. Like, I love the team that we've got. Yeah, it's not, it seems like such a cool team. I mean, I felt totally comfortable uh, there. Yeah, it was funny. I just wanted to mention the the uh, the aftercare concept because when I first you told me, you know, you're like she's she, she's doing aftercare. I was like, what? That's kind of kind of struck me as that's weird. It never occurred yeah. to me. And then I did the interview, and I remember in the middle, I started feeling like I was talking about pretty you know for me like pretty serious stuff and i was like and i remember i started feeling like oh i get it now i get why they would need that because you know i i've i've been through therapy and and stuff a long time ago so i definitely know uh how important it is to talk to somebody if you're if you're having intense feelings from from you know what uh trauma and um it was just was funny that it hit me in the middle of the interview and I started feeling emotional myself. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. That's a great idea <laughs> to have someone there for aftercare. <laughs> so, I mean, so, seriously, it's true. If you start like digging into stuff yeah. from your formative years that bring up some past demons that mm -hmm. you're thinking about and all of a sudden, you know, you start getting that welling up of emotion yeah. and you're like – Ooh, I need a break. I so, mean, something, you know, you know, we, we don't want to leave people yeah. like they're feeling like they're being exploited or right. like they're being mistreated while they're on camera. We're like, no, we're, we're here for you. And we know you're going to be talking about some heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That just, that just made me feel like, oh, this is fully legit. That's such a great idea. Um, it's weird when you, you get, man. you know, one thing I noticed when you get, cause I've done a million interviews at this point in my life and, um, when you're in front of a camera, it's weird. Something happens. Like, I don't know what it is, but I've had moments like when Mike was filming the documentary, doing some of those interviews, because yeah. I always think, oh, man, it's like, how do people cry on camera? I, I don't understand how you'd be able to, you know, how, how you'd be able to cry on camera, how you would let yourself. Like, it seems like you put your guard up because you see people cry in interviews all the time. And there's something about it. Like, I had a, a few, there's a, you know, they, they shot a ton of footage of me that they didn't use. And, mm. and I didn't cry in any of it, but I came really close a few times. And it's like, there's something, it's strange. It's a strange thing because it really, it is kind of like a therapy session because you're yeah. kind of one on one with your director and they're asking and you're talking to them really you're not talking to the camera so you're like in this deep discussion with them and it, it's just a weird thing that happens so anyway i just thought that was interesting i i I'm a, i think this project is so cool and so i mean i can't believe it hasn't been this documentary hasn't been made yet right yeah, I keep hearing that. Like every time I talk to anybody who gets the concept and gets what we're doing with this, I keep getting that feedback. I can't believe this hasn't been done yet. And, that, and that's the sign of a great idea is when it seems like, oh, this is such a good idea. It must have been done already. And it hasn't. Then you know you're on to something, you know. It might be just because it's tough. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, wrap up the idea of how horror films can help people get through tough times. Mm -hmm. And how horror can actually benefit us when there's so much discussion out there about horror being a detriment and horror right. breeds people who are violent and right. unstable and all of these negative stigmas. Right. And it's like we're pushing through all of that to bring people who can actually talk from personal experience as horror filmmakers or people in the industry and then medical mental health professionals 
and then just fans who mm-hmm. have their stories. Right. Anecdotal like, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All the testimonial stuff, like the entire first third of the movie is basically going to be people telling their stories. And then the second act is going to be all of the mental health provider stuff. And then the third is going to be catharsis. Like that's the foundation for how we're doing it. And we're getting the best people that we possibly can to like illustrate that and bring that point home because, you know, I know for me and I absolutely know for you, horror has helped us through so many bad times in life. Oh yeah. 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 In all tons of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, because I didn't think about it until I was interviewed for this documentary. It was like, I, I never, I always knew, but I never stopped and really thought about how, uh, how how it ha- how it has helped me how's it how it's been a healing force for me and beneficial yeah. to my life so that was kind of interesting um so how did you how did you get involved in this project yeah so uh i was producing movies uh and i was doing the work for the in search of darkness and in search of tomorrow guys and mm-hmm. uh i was kind of on my way out and uh i had separated uh, a little bit after i had started production on this Um, and the way that that kind of worked out was right at the beginning of the year, uh, we were doing a lot of development on some new, uh, titles that, uh, those previous guys were trying to get going. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Barkhan, he, he came and just, you know, hit me up one day because I'd had him on a watch party. We were watching an old Charlie band movie. It was arena with uh, a bunch of guys that I know you'd worked with in the past. Uh, I think it was uh, Beekler's team, uh, MMI, that did a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of people, when I was in Italy, a lot of people were always talking, telling arena stories. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just the awesome human versus alien monster boxing match, rock'em, sock'em, robot stuff. (laughs) You know, totally like Babylon 5, Star Trek, you know, Mm -hmm. all that. And, uh, yeah, we had just kind of connected over that and we'd stayed in touch and he hit me up and said, Hey, I've got this concept for a documentary. I would love to have you help me get made. And I told him I'm all about it after I read his synopsis and his outline and just, yeah, perfect. You know, had a conversation with him. Perfect fit. Yeah. And, and the thing too, is that, you know, this conversation has been in the horror community for a good while now. A lot of people have been writing and doing podcasts but nobody took it to the level of being a feature length documentary. And it was time for us to come in and do that. Mm -hmm. So I started development with him probably around late January, early February. And we've just launched the Kickstarter for it after building the team. Like I said, we've got our producers team, but we also have our creative team. And you mentioned that Shane is our DP and it's, fantastic like i could not wish for anybody else to be our dp for this yeah because shane's setup and his eye and everything yeah. that he's put in for yeah. this yeah has just been amazing and we've got some clips that are going to be released here this week oh, really? uh that are going to be through the kickstarter through the kickstarter oh, and through social media and through uh, a couple of exclusives uh with some different outlets and sites uh, we're taking a couple of moments from some of the interviews that we've already done and we're putting them into just quick little clip videos with a couple of films inserted in for context oh, Excellent. and just getting them out there. And, you know, we have an amazing art director. We've got Jason Kozlarek who works with Fango and has done a ton of incredible graphics artwork excellent. in his career. We've also got a motion graphics designer named Tim Weidelman. He is from the old Troma 
camp, but wow. then he went commercial and now he's working with us <laughs> and cool. he's just making the coolest slates and uh, motion images and graphics and Excellent. it's just fantastic. And then we've got an awesome editor, Lindsay Ragone. So we have just a, a team that, you know, like I said, I, I couldn't be more honored and proud to be able to work with all these guys because they're all in on this and everyone's bringing the best work they can. And it just looks awesome. Are they all uh, or are most of them like horror fans? Are they, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Every, everyone is in a way tied to the horror world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's either trauma through, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, through through writing, through doing, you know, their own individual types of work through their specific skill sets. And uh it, you know, it's it's funny too. It's like talking about it. Everyone's tied to horror mm-hmm. in some way shape or form or another. Like if you've ever watched a Lifetime movie or you've ever seen a Hitchcock film, mm-hmm. it's like you're tied to horror in some way. If you know who Edgar Allan Poe is, you're tied to horror. It's like Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, part, yeah, it's yeah. part of the culture. It's part of the cult. It's like, you know, that's why I, I, I've, I've always said this in context of uh, my own career. Like I can, I can make it. I can make, I can make it in this world. Make painting monsters because Stephen King. Yeah. Stephen King is like one of the most famous, uh, successful writers in the world. You know, not just regardless of genre. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Not just as a horror writer, but just as a writer. Um, so. <clears throat> It's it's part of the culture. It's just it's funny that it's 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 so it's so separated. It's almost like people don't you know don't like to admit that they like it, or <laughs> I guess some people don't like it, but but it just it's part of you know. I think I said this in the interview too. It's like horror is it's horror is important because horror movies are important because you know life is horror. You know, not yeah. to say all of life is horror, but there you there is horror in life, for sure. Like it's it's one it's an element of life, is uh, bad things. It's like there's no way around it. There's no way around death. There's no way around tragedy. That stuff happens. It's part of the fabric of reality. You know, yeah. so it's 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 a valid uh, subject to explore. You know, I mean, it's the same thing with dark art. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with. Totally. Uh, anything that explores the other side of what everyone tries to perceive as, you know, normal, bright lit, happy living Mm -hmm. standards that are the common norm, things like that. And, you know, it's, it's weirdly enough, something that a lot of people in my perception seem to try to push to the side to stay safe. Right. And right. it's it's like a, it's kind of a weird cookie cutter kind of thing. And it's making me think just talking about this right now, kind of like a, an Edward Scissorhands type deal where everyone wants to be in their safe little neighborhood with their similar houses and everyone knows everyone. Right. And there's no surprises and there's no taboos and no darkness. Mm-hmm. And it's all just cookie cutter as clean as can be. And there's nothing uh, from the, the fringe or the fray to interrupt that. Right. Everyone gets to do their barbecues. Everyone gets to go to work. Everyone gets to watch their football games and mm-hmm. everyone gets to be happy. And it's like, you can't really ignore yeah. what's beneath that. You Reality's can't ignore the really dark like side. <laughs> yeah. When, when you have like a real grasp on reality, you got to see both sides of the coin right. and you can't just completely shun one side of stuff. And a lot of people do. And in a way that gets a lot of people hurt. 
Yeah, and it's not healthy yeah. psychologically to ignore the dark side. You know, it's or to bully somebody for embracing that. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. At that, I mean, I think that a lot of times, Pete, that's what happens. That's one of the. Um, that's one of the the symptoms of pushing it away. It's mm-hmm. one of the way of dealing. That's one way people deal with it is they attack it. Yeah, you know? like fight or flight kind of thing. Right, like, right. It's like I don't, I don't, I don't want to be exposed to this. Yeah. I got to get away from you know this stuff. It goes against my beliefs and my you know doctrine and my even religious and things like right, that. Right, right, right. And then the other side of that is attacking. And you know, I I know. I mean, we might not need to go into this level of discussion about it, but there are people in the dark art world who have been the subject of that to some of the most extreme conditions in the world. I mean, it is unbelievable to hear some of those stories. And I I think, you know, who I'm talking about specifically and that if someone gets targeted for liking things that are perceived as dark and the spiral just goes out of control and the snowball gets insane right. you can wind up with someone you know in the deepest darkest part of the worst jail in the world right. getting beaten to death every day yeah and it's just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and they like some horror movies yep. and some dark music and some yeah dark- yeah that's the extreme yeah. example of, of what that can lead to you know, and, you know, and even like the smaller stuff, just being abused and mistreated and treated like shit for right. liking, you know, Mar- marginalized. Yeah. George Romero movies, Stephen King books, H.R. Uh, Giger art. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when Giger debuted his artwork, The Atomic uh, Children, uh, there were people so outraged that they were pelting the gallery windows with shit. That's a, Yeah, that's what's – which is like so much worse than an art – than a dark art show, which is what actually the bad thing. It's the bad thing is to do that, not to have the art show. That's yeah, like a yeah. stand, stand, you know, dark art stand, stand, yeah, stand. Yeah, yeah. He, he said he – um, he said he he had an art show and they chased him down the street in Ukraine because it was – you know, people were not into it. He's, um, he's fucking lucky. It could have ended like Frankenstein. I know. I know. I mean, <laughs> pitchforks and torches yeah, coming yeah, after totally. you through the streets. Yeah. Um, you know, this is an interesting thing to bring up. I don't think I've ever talked about this, but hmm. I've recently heard a discussion of why, you know, because the 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 um, the fifties are are talk about the co- cookie cutter world. The fifties yeah. were like totally that cookie cutter, which turned into the uh, tumultuous sixties because they the, their kids were rebelling against that kind of repre- repressive cookie cutter, you know, leave it to beaver reality and yeah, conservative American dream, oppressive thumbs. Yeah, right. The right. Time, yeah. But the reason that that happened in the first place is because those people all were so traumatized by world war two. They yeah. came out of world war two and then, and they were completely traumatized by what they had been through. And so mm-hmm. I totally it's like it made me understand why. Like I always thought, why are these people like you know, why were they like that? It was so you know, it was just like so traditional and the woman's place had that traditional role and she couldn't work and, and it was so, you know, racist and this and that. And it's like, well, they were they were going back to this traditional safe place because they couldn't deal with the trauma they couldn't deal with the trauma they experienced and back then when you came out of war they didn't have any kind of like uh aftercare program 
especially yeah. to no where counseling. You could, yeah, no counseling. PTSD you didn't just, exist. You just sucked it up. And yeah, so you need to get your ass back to work. Yeah, yeah. And so when you when you look at it in that context, you know, I felt like, oh, it makes me it made me less it made me more understanding of why that would happen and less like, what a bunch of assholes. You know, it's like, oh, these people are traumatized. They, yeah, they, 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 had they their... went through hell and they tried to find heaven. And right, you know, right. really, when you look at it in retrospect, I mean, what parents of that era were doing to their kids, no wonder they grew up to just completely go wild through right, the next right. decade. So, so it's like this yeah. kind of trauma passed down to generations in, in these weird ways because they're not aware of what they're doing. You know, because it's like it's they're traumatized and then they're, you know, that seems like logically, OK, we're going to just ignore everything bad and just, you know, live this this sterile lifestyle and everyone's going to behave this this way. Everything's going to be lined up perfectly. Every, no more. No everything's got to be under control. Yeah, everything's everything's got to be under control. Be, yeah. No more. No more of that uh, hell that we experienced. And then, you you know, and then you get the obvious response. And so I don't know, it just made me kind of understand understand the whole situation you know ultimately it's it you know a lot so much of it comes down to to war and just trauma trauma unprocessed trauma manifesting in a way that's not healthy you know so i don't know it's interesting fear too i mean fear of it happening again because Mm -hmm. them coming back from that trying to say all right i know how we can live well and never have anything bad ever happen again right and it's because of that fear of re-experiencing all that death and all of that just brutality mm-hmm. and, again, trauma and the, the living hell that all that was. You right, know, So right. they're like, all right, all we got to do is just paint everything white and dress all the same and <laughs> you know, know that if we're seeing anybody who doesn't look exactly like us, they might be the enemy. So we got to get them out of here. And it's just, again, it's like something that, you know, we've talked about a million times of what people do and what the signs are when they live in a perpetual state of fear. Right. And after you go through such a, a crazy, brutal trauma, like, uh, the second world war where it's just inescapable and then it's finally fucking over, you know, what do you do? And then you've got people waking up in the middle of the night with night terrors screaming about seeing their buddies' heads blown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's like only a couple years later, everyone goes to Korea and does the same shit. And it's like Jesus. And then it's like uh, there's so much to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 very complex. I mean, it's I kind of get it in a way too. Like I get that now that I'm older and I've been through. You know, I've suffered so many personal traumas throughout my life i get the idea of like okay i don't want any more problems yeah. <laughs> man i want to live the re- i only probably got you know what 20 30 years left of my life if i'm lucky i just want i just want everything to work i you know i get that idea like i get the like yeah. okay no more no more i've suffered enough <laughs> So it's Please, a I just want to minimize everything and not have anything to stress or worry about but that, forever. But, yeah, but yeah, this this yeah. is what but the, this is what the documentary I think is is about at its core. I mean, I haven't seen the, the documentary's not made yet, but to me it seems like the ultimate um uh uh the the ultimate result you're going to get from this is just understanding. Understanding. Yeah. Awareness and understanding, which is totally. you know, kind of what the uh, I like to paint monsters ended up being. It's like you know, it's for for a, a part of part of 
what made that movie great is that <clears throat> like Mike's parents saw it, the director, Mike Carell, his parents saw yeah. it. And I think, I think they said that, uh, he told me, they said, Oh, I get it now. I understand it now. You know? So it's like, it's not something to fear anymore. It's something you, even if you're not into horror or dark art, you go, Oh, I get it. Just the same way with the, the stuff from, I'm talking about that fifties lifestyle, you know, knowing, knowing that context, I can go, Oh, I get that. I understand that. You know, that makes sense to me. And that's what, you know, that's what it's all about. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. Because, you know, when we want someone to finish watching this, we want them to have that understanding and that awareness that horror can really help. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, we are working to make this not only available for the horror fans, but also friends, family and loved ones and people who just have an interest in the subject who want to watch a documentary about the psychological impacts of a genre mm -hmm. like horror and how it can benefit people and how it can really affect how we process things like trauma and extreme duress and mm -hmm. anxiety and stress and everything else, depression. It, it, there's so much to it. But in the end, we not only want that to be something that is uplifting for people when they walk out of the theater or they finish watching the documentary, knowing that they have a better understanding of how some people relate to this. We want it to also be something that helps reshape the language of the discussion in the mental health profession, yeah. where if someone goes into a counselor's office and says, hey, I have been going through a really bad time in my life. But I just watched A Nightmare on Elm Street and it helped me get through some really heavy shit. We don't want the counselor to say, OK, you're talking about a horror movie. Um, that's a negative thing. That's a bad influence. Right. And we're going to have to do more sessions and we're going to have to do more therapy to get your mind right. Right. We don't want people to be stigmatized for looking at someone like Heather Langenkamp and seeing Nancy and going, that's someone that I can look up to right. because – her strength is helping me get through this problem. Mm -hmm. We want people to be able to say, that makes sense. I totally understand it. Let's explore that and help you with what's going on. And, you know, even me growing up in my formative years, I mean, horror was there for me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it was really because of family. My grandmother and her sister were huge into horror, and they were Okies <laughs> that traveled across the country during so the cool. Dust Bowl. They, they wound up in like the golden age of Universal Monsters Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and they got to like grow up with all of that. And my grandmother, you know, she was a huge cinephile. And then my Aunt Vivian was just all about the B movies. And she just went to every <laughs> single Universal movies, every single Roger Corman, loved all the Hammer pictures and all the Vincent Price. <laughs> and then when I was born and I was living kind of in a duplex on the other side of her, and I was a latchkey kid, I would go over to her place and she would have, you know, cookies and soda and all of these uh, full moon movies and, you know, tapes <laughs> on. on VHS. Yeah, just her <laughs> whole collection. You know, she she was uh, someone who wasn't able to get out of the house much. Hmm. Um, so what she would ask is that my mom would go and pick her up horror and sci fi tapes from the video store. And she would have, you know, all these tapes in the collection just going across the whole entertainment center. 
and just have them on all the time. And if it wasn't a tape, it was always like late night Cinemax or uh, HBO After Dark or right. uh, the Sci-Fi Channel and all this other stuff. So, you know, that's how I saw some of my first movies that scared the hell out of me. <laughs> but also she was there to let me know that everything was going to be OK. Right, right. Yeah, so that's, in, in relation to watching horror, she was like, oh, don't worry, I've got you. And I felt supported and I felt loved and comforted. And I right. was like, OK, horror, you know, isn't a bad thing. Horror is like related to family for me now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's sort of like uh, I mean, it's almost like a rite of passage in a way. You know, it's like it's sort of like, you know, you hear of these, um, uh, you know, native tribes doing these having having the, these kids they hit a certain age and they go through these like traumatic experiences they make them they put them out in the middle of the desert and they have to yeah, get, the find their way send them out into the yeah, wolves they have to come, yeah they have to come back <laughs> they have to make it the other way back or they have to go through some painful terrifying initiation and it's like it's sort of in a way i could see horror i think horror functions horror movies function um in a lot of different ways in our culture but that's all that's one of them is like a a uh a uh, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, you said like a rite of passage, but yeah, maybe sometimes yeah. like a, a testing and exposure, like it shows you a little bit of the the darkness that can be out there. I don't know. I mean, yeah, or like 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 a like a, an initiation. That's what I'm saying. Like an initiation, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like you know, you've you're able to do, you're able to experience this and live, and then you're better for it because you've experienced it. You've gone through the scary thing that you were dreading. It's like that kind of like. Uh, um, uh, oh, you're making me think of when my family went and saw Exorcist. I'll save that story for a second because I don't want to interrupt okay. your point. <laughs> that, was, that, movie, that movie was so scary when I was a kid. It's still, I still think it's scary. I still think it's terrifying. It's so so well done. Um, and Freakin so was, a, was a, a documentary filmmaker too. He started as a documentary yeah. filmmaker, which is why he's got that that has that realistic feeling to that movie, which is what I love about it. Yeah, everyone always talks about the surgery scene and, you know, oh, yeah. some of those moments that are just a little bit too real yeah. <laughs> just because of his eye as a documentary filmmaker. And that's that's a thing, too. I mean, some of my personal uh, favorite filmmakers who have done incredible movies started off doing documentaries just mm -hmm. to cut their teeth after yeah. they were doing assistant director work and other jobs. And one example for me is always Michele Soave who did the world of Dario Argento mm. documentary mm -hmm. before Argento said, okay, I want you to make your first film. Mm. And then That's he went cool. on to do stage fright mm. and then he did La Chiesa and then the sect and then Della Morte, Della Morte, Cemetery Man. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, uh, What's your exorcist story? <laughs> so, like, like, like I was saying, I, I was growing up, and uh, you know, when when I was a kid, I I had just one horrible fucking thing after another happened, and I think I've talked to you about yeah. this a little bit. Like, I had abuse, I had trauma, I had just a ton of psychological and physical shit. And it was, you know, a, a lot of bad. And mm -hmm. I was really thankful and really lucky that I had my aunt Vivian and my grandparents mm -hmm. to, you know, offset that. And, uh, I'm, I'm always going to be thankful for them. Um, but growing up loving horror, uh, in, in the house with my mom and eventually my stepdad, uh, it was a lot of, you can't watch that, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I get it. You know, some of the eighties and nineties stuff had like extreme, uh, right. effects 
compared to things like Abbott and Costello meet the, you know, yeah, Wolf yeah. Manor. there's got to be some discernment uh, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I love, you know, the old uh, stuff. I love the old uh, Invisible Man movies and, of Mm -hmm. course, Dracula and, you know, Frankenstein and everything and Creature. Um, But it's a a thing where um, I I kind of felt like, okay, I'm dealing with all of this horrible shit and I'm getting through it. And I'm being told that I can't watch this movie because it's got Freddy Krueger running around. And I'm like. I'm tough. I'm 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 good. I can watch that. <laughs> I I'm strong enough I can make it through, you right. know. Uh I can watch Phantasm. I can watch Return of the Living Dead. I can, you know, watch Day of the Dead eventually. Uh, <laughs> Cuz I I got a tape of Creepshow 2 and it had this great behind the scenes video of Day of the Dead that immediately started with roads getting ripped in half. <laughs> and my, my first introduction to Day of the Dead was Joe Pilato just choke on it. Yeah, and <laughs> I loved it, you know. And I was a, a total creep show kid. I, I watched uh, that a million times whenever mm-hmm. it was on like TNT, and you know, I saw uh, Creep Show in the theater when it first came out. <laughs> so good, always, always a favorite. Classic, but, classic. You know, I, I kind of had that mentality. I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm good. I can I can watch whatever I want, and it'll be fine. And that led to some great nightmares. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the story that I grew up with uh, around that time was uh, Exorcist had come out. And my family was living in Villa Park at the time. And that was like totally their stomping grounds around Orange County and Anaheim and all that. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of, you know, like a, a real Brady Bunch kind of family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, dysfunctional kids who got into a shitload of trouble. Right. And it like one of the dumb things, this is a total side note before I get to it, but they used to like ride dirt bikes through orange groves and pelt each other with rotten oranges. <laughs> Just, you know, having like snowball fights in Southern <laughs> California. Yeah. And some of them would like do really extreme shit. Like I think one of my uncles one time, you know, tied a wire between a couple of trees and either my other uncle or my aunt, like on their dirt bike just went boom and went over the uh, handrails. And uh, they used to like hang each other over the uh, staircase, uh, you know, arm. It sounds like they would have gotten gotten along well with my grandfather. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was into this crazy shit like that. Totally, totally doing crap like that. Like, (laughs) oh, we're going to hang you, you know, from the upstairs over the couch 20 feet (laughs) and see if you're going to be okay because you're you're the runt of the family type shit. (laughs) Uh, So all those stories. But, yeah, I, I heard heard this story about them all going to see exorcist in like 1973 around the time when it had just come out mm-hmm. and it was all the aunts and uncles and they were all you know like ranged between uh like eight and 20 something like that mm-hmm. um eight? so <laughs> yeah yeah the, the the little one wow. uh my, my youngest uncle they managed to get him in there because i think either my mom or one of my uncles were like Oh no, he's ours or something. Yeah, right. And you know, they they all went to see it, and it scared the hell out of them so badly <laughs> that they all had to sleep in the same room for a week. <laughs> and it was just it's that awesome. level of like, no, we've seen scary movies. We know what happens. Yeah, we all right. had to sleep in the same room for a week after we saw The Exorcist. <laughs> you can't handle that. And I'm like, okay, okay. Fair well, enough. That, that I mean, that to be fair, that movie is different <laughs> than anything that preceded preceded it. 
Oh, you know, no, I know it, it was it a was, total game it changer. It was a huge jump. It was yeah. a huge jump from the, the kind of – there was no – I mean, what the probably the closest thing to it uh, was Psycho, and, it, and it's way scarier than Psycho, I think. Sure. You know, as far as like a seriously scary movie. Psycho yeah. had more of like a mystery element to it. It was more like kind of a mystery with some scary – with scary parts, but The Exorcist was just like full-on horror. And it was so, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I wish I could have been around for that to be released and to go and see it yeah, you know, know. on release in theaters just to experience that time. I, I was too, like what, 70, it came out when? 73, you said? I think, yeah, I think like 72 or 73, yeah. Something like that. So I was like five years old. So I, I, I didn't. Well, perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> no one was taking me to see that. <laughs> I was, I was at that age. I was watching Night of, uh, Night of Living Dead on TV. I it was, it was uh, on TV stuff at that time. But um, yeah, I do remember hearing about it. Like I remember my sister talking about it and their friends talking about it and hearing the stories about people fainting and puking in the it. theater and stuff. <laughs> Just destroying audiences and good, good times, good ruining times. people. Yeah, but the, at the same time, like some people look at The Exorcist and they see something in that film that helps them get through mm -hmm. some horrible shit in their life. Yeah, you know, whether it's seeing Reagan going through all of the experiments and having to deal with all the medical stuff, and you know, some some people just connect right. with movies that show really really hard themes. This, and yeah. Totally. You know, tough, tough scenes. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, this is. The, you know, now that I think about it, I think Night of the Living Dead is probably closer to The Exorcist in tone. Yeah, that 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 was the huge. That was really the big jump. I think Night of the Living Dead because it was so. It, again, it was realistic documentary style, even though it was low, super low budget. That seems a little more in the tradition where that, that really realistic, terrifying uh, vibe. But speaking of Night of Living Dead and speaking of just connecting, that's how it was for me with Night of Living Dead. It was like I just connected with it. For some yeah. reason, it just like it hit all the, the buttons with me. For some, and it scared me at the same time. And, um, you know, I don't know if maybe it's because there there aren't more you know films like the one you're making there aren't there isn't more of like an open discussion about why we are attracted to these things that maybe that's the reason I'm I'm always kind of wondering what why you know I have theories about why I liked that movie so much mm -hmm. and and they all kind of make sense but but um you know I think I think it's it's such a mystery because it seems like a mystery like why are people there seems like there's so many different possible reasons that people like these kind of movies, what it does for them. And I think it's because the, the dialogue is, isn't open about it, you know, which yeah. is, which is something that you're, you're doing with this movie. So, yeah, this isn't something that most people talk around the water cooler. I mean, it's yeah. not the typical, like, you know, Monday morning back in the uh, shop. All right. What'd you watch over the weekend? How did it affect you psychologically? <laughs> and, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm thinking about it, too. And one of my first real horror films that I ever really connected with was The Omen. And oh, yeah. then That's a, great a little movie. bit. Such a good movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, you know, talk about incredible tone and direction and performances and style. And again, that one was like just a, a nationwide phenomenon. Like people really got 
up and up about the omen from stories that, you know, I remember hearing just growing up. Right. That it was like a, a really intense taboo movie and then, you know, it affected the culture and mm-hmm. became something that people feared and then had to start making fun of. And, right. uh, you know, there were all these things attached to it. But, I mean, it, it really was one of those that just fascinated me as a kid. Yeah. And with the shocking, you know, moments in the movie, I mean, it was like... I had never experienced that before and probably the first horror thing well the first horror movie I ever really saw a part of was Dream Warriors and I was being babysat about 4 years old. Uh, oh my and god. My, <laughs> That's pretty young. My mom's boyfriend's mom uh was looking after me and I guess she had like a beta or a tape of Dream Warriors and it had been on and I got up in the middle of the night and I walked in on the scene where Patricia Arquette's being eaten by the Freddy snake. Right. And immediately that seared itself into my mind. And it was like, oh, that's going to be there forever. <laughs> and my, my first real incident of kinder trauma at, at home, kind of, you know, it wasn't at, at my house in uh, Fullerton at the time. But um, and this was before we moved out of California and all, all tons of other horrible shit happened for the right. rest of my you know development. Uh, developmental years. Um, but the first extreme horror moment experience that I had uh, in theaters was during uh, a Christmas movie. We went and saw Scrooged. And, you know, for oh, anybody who's seen yeah, that movie. <laughs> the, oh my God, the fucking puppetry and the creature effects. Yeah, the effects death. are great. Yeah, the effects yeah. are great in that movie. There, there are so many dark moments in that film. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, even Charles Dickens original is dark as hell. Yeah, that, in a that's, lot of parts. Yeah, Scrooge is one of the the old one from like I don't know which version I, I grew up on, but every year I watch that and it I loved it. It was so scary. That that yeah, the 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 the, the ghost of Christmas past and then the did you ever see the one where there's a moment uh, Scrooge is looking out and seeing the street and all of a sudden all of these dead specters are flying past yes, yes. while a mom and her child are freezing to death? Yeah, that's th- the uh, that's the Alistair Sim one. That's the okay, yeah. like a great classic black and white one. Yeah, that yeah. I finally just got to see in the last couple of years, and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I saw that one recently because I was trying to find a good one for my grandkids to watch because they'd never seen it. I think the yeah. one I grew up on was the '70s one with Albert Finney, mm-hmm. which is a really good one too. Oh hell yeah, Albert Finney. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. guy was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he was yeah classic classic actor. So anyway, I, I gotta okay. say uh, just a recommendation for him if anyone wants to see a really dark film that he did, uh, check out Under the Volcano. Very existential and oh, really? philosophical. Huh. Under the Volcano is a man at the uh, end of his life in the throes of extreme substance abuse, and uh, it it doesn't end well. But it's oh, a wow. damn good Albert Finney movie. Oh, cool. Okay, I wrote that. But down. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, okay, I want to I want to talk about how did you become a movie producer? Cuz this is something, yeah. you know, I know a lot of people would love to do something like, you know, become become involved in the entertainment industry or make movies and it's like, you know, it seems if you're not like 
I guess it's not as uh, uh, the case as much anymore, but it seems like if you're not in Hollywood or L.A., it seems like an impossible thing to do or New York or something. Um, so how, how did you what how did you how did you get to where you're producing movies? It was just, you know, years of doing stuff off and on. But my real connection into actually doing work really came through journalism and it came through volunteering and just showing up for some podcasts that my old buddies were doing at chud.com. Mm-hmm. And that's how I connected with you initially, too, because I think one of the first times uh, we ever got to chat was when I had asked for an interview about I Like to Pay Monsters. Oh, wow. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> way, way back. Because I, I had prior to that been a collector of your work. And I oh, think okay. we had some back and forth emails. Okay, right. And then I Like to Pay Monsters was coming out. And I was writing for Chud.com at the time. Uh, and this was when I was in like South Korea for a year. So, you know, I was on the other side of the world, but I was still doing interviews with people in the States. Okay. So yeah, you were, so you were in the military just to let people know for how many, how how many years? 13 years. Okay. So you, from 20, 2006 to 2019. So, so you, you, while you were in the military, you were doing all this extracurricular curricular yeah, journalism yeah, stuff yeah. and and that's awesome that's so cool and, and to to kind of give a, a little bit of background before that um i had been a kid who was studying film and okay. you know reading short stories and novels and loving literature and loving movies and music and art and video games uh, my whole life so when i got into my school years It was all about theater and drama and production. So I became one of the guys on the team that would make the school video every day where Uh. they did like the lunch announcements and (laughs) here's what's going on with high school news. You know, there were times because I grew up loving like Mr. Show and, you know, Kids in the Hall and Absurdist Comedy and Monty Python and uh, experimental filmmaking. I mean, I, I was even into stuff like you know, claymation as a kid and Mel Brooks was a huge influence on me. So I was just doing stupid shit whenever I could. Right. Uh, and you know, rank and base too. And oh, you yeah, know, so, yeah. so many great, great, uh, things that I just, I was lucky to be exposed to. Uh, because again, my family really had a big, uh, thing where music and movies and books and everything were just so important. Right. So I was, you know, always kind of escaping into that. Mm-hmm. When, like when things would get bad, Yeah. you yeah. know, that's, that's what I really went into. And horror was a big part of that, uh, as well as, you know, so much other stuff. So I would, you know, grab the camcorder and I would do the, you know, videos and then I would, go and make skate videos with friends okay, and yeah. you know this was close to like the jackass era so we were doing like prank and uh stunt videos and dumb shit too <laughs> and i i loved editing and oh. i would do music videos and i would film concerts with friends how and were you editing back then did you have to have two two vhs had- decks or how did you or did you shoot edit in camera you know, I, she, I I did both. I did a little bit of in camera, but I also did like that video toaster shit with the toggle and oh, the yeah, different yeah, filters right. and yeah, all that yeah, crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah awesome. like I, I learned how to do that in junior high because we had one of those for the you know high school video right. production team. So I learned how to do all of that, and then it became much easier because this was like into the transition of the digital era. So. Right. 
You know, I, I wasn't like wealthy by any means as a kid and had like no financial support from, you know, my parents. Right. So I was using everything uh, that I could basically get a hold of to, to try to do what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I was doing uh, two VCRs. I was doing uh, a bunch of other stuff. And I basically just, you know, loved doing that, but also being on stage, loved writing, loved uh, helping doing stage plays and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when I got out of high school, I just went straight into live music. And, you know, me and a couple of friends, we were doing a band called Horseflesh. Uh, it was a lot of, you know, metal influence with alternative and primus stuff and some, you know, fun experimental, just mm. fucking around shit. And then that had a bad end and I just listened to the grandparents and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll find some stability. I'll see if I can get some kind of foundation for myself and I'll do what they're suggesting and do the air force thing. And when I did that, I was like, all right, clean slate. I'm getting rid of all my old shit. I'm getting rid of all the guitars. I'm getting rid of all the gear. I'm, you know, uh, selling or tossing everything and throwing only enough to fill up the trunk of my car and drive to Sacramento and squat for a year until I go in. So it was like all of my shit that I loved, I just completely wiped clean. Wow. Except for like a small, you know, little trunk of crap. And that's, that's all I had. And then they wound up, you know, uh, taking me through the basic training and shipping me off to Germany. And I got out there and I was like, I'm fucking all alone and (laughs) I'm going to turn back to music and movies and books. And I did that. And in all that time, uh, you know, I was getting into online journalism. And one of my favorite sites was Chud at the time. Mm-hmm. And this is like the early days of online movie sites like Ain't It Cool News mm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, some of those guys have turned out to be real pieces of shit. But I'm very <laughs> thankful that uh, my boss, Nick Nunziata, has always been there for me. He's been a mentor and he's been someone that I'm really, really uh, appreciative of for a lot of the direction he's given me. And, you know, he was one of the guys who helped Guillermo get um, – uh, are you, oh man, uh, don't be afraid of the dark maid. I almost said, oh, are really? you? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick, uh, Nick was uh, working on that basically around 2004, 2005, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a producer on that for a while, and then I think left before release. And I'm trying to remember the uh, director's name who did the lock and key shorts, but oh, Troy Nixie. Yeah, Troy. Troy mm-hmm. Nixie was one of uh, the Chud guys. That's kind of oh. how Troy got, you know, more attention was he was a commenter on the forums and oh, he okay. was uh, doing some writing and some other stuff for Chud. And then with some deals worked out, uh, it wound up happening. And, you know, because of Nick, uh, I got a copy of the um, I forget the it's not a compendium, but it's kind of like a field guide for all of the creatures that are uh, attached to the Don't Be Afraid of the Dark World. And it's really cool. I don't know if you have a copy of that book, but I'm going to have to uh, take a picture of it upstairs and send it to you after we're done talking. Because there was a book tie-in for the film. And it's got some of your designs in it, and it's got some other stuff in it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you should definitely have that on the shelf. Yeah, I don't think I have that. 
Yeah. So, so the Don't Be Afraid of the Dark book for everyone listening, absolutely check it out because it's just great. I think I do and remember hearing about that now. It's really cool. Like the the binding is yeah. uh, all black around the edges, and it's got this awesome folklore. Right. Uh, you know, almost like uh, autobiographical diary kind of mm-hmm. layout to it. And it's it's just uh, a really fun read cool. to, to tie into the film. So uh, Nick was doing the Chud show back then uh, with a couple of guys. And I would just call in. And, you know, I'm in the middle of Germany. And I've got like 10 DVDs and a couple of books. And I'm in this cold-ass concrete walls apartment. And... <laughs> Just trying to like connect with people who are into the same shit that I am because where I'm at, you know, it's all about drinking and doing dumb shit and then going to work and that's your every single day. And right. I'm like, I need, an, I need an escape from that. Yeah. So I'm calling in. I'm talking to him about John Carpenter. I'm talking to him about species. I'm talking to him about all these different things over, you know, just being able to connect and eventually – I got word that, you know, I had to go to Afghanistan for a while and I got back into just DIY filmmaking. So I was making videos. I was doing all this stuff. I had access to a ton of movies. I ran a little uh, video setup station where like around my camp, everyone who had a connected coaxial line to their tents could watch what we were playing. Oh, that's cool. Computer. Yeah, so I was I was programming movies uh, <laughs> every cool. day and I was basically like I can show whatever the hell I want because I inherited it from the guy that was previously in my spot as a cable guy out there. And one of my favorite things was I pissed off all the Australians on that base because I did the fucking thing on American TV where it's a Christmas story for 24 fucking hours. Uh. And they started coming in and they're like, why is it the same movie? <laughs> Put on a different movie. What are you doing, Hawko? Uh, you know, and that, that was great. And then uh, I wound up uh, buying a little pirate radio station set up from a dude that was there, too. So I was running the little video thing, and then I was running this little antenna-based radio that if you were in your car or you had a radio in your shop, you could turn on to 104.9, uh, and you could hear this CAF Kandahar Airfield radio oh, cool. where I was programming all the music all day. Wow. So you can still find that shit on Twitter, and you can see, like, this is CAF radio. We're listening to Iggy Pop right now, and tell us what you <laughs> want to hear next. And, wow. You know. All, all that shit. So it, it really like reconnected me with things. Uh, I got back to Germany. I started a YouTube. I was like making short little review essays, which I've taken all down since then because uh, they were all shit. Uh, <laughs> and then I got back to the States and I connected with Nick at Chud and he gave me a job. And he started, you know, uh, after we talked and met, uh, encouraging me to write more. So one of my first real articles after I was doing all this volunteering and you know, these articles were all for free. Like I I wasn't getting paid for them. It was just like, Hey, I'm going to give you a spotlight on the site. This is going to be, you know, you as a contributor and then we will work out eventually what we can do for income and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, some kind of reward, which turned out to be a lot of access, like because of Nick and because of doing all of that writing, uh, I wound up being able to go and do coverage at stuff like WonderCon and San Diego Comic-Con and mm. uh, doing press junkets and, you know, getting access to early movies before release and 
all that stuff that kind of builds the foundation of right. an online entertainment journalist. Um, but yeah, the first, the first thing I ever wrote for him was for uh, guy.com, which isn't around anymore. And it was, uh, how to survive a four day music festival. <laughs> Cause I was doing that shit all the time in Europe. Like yeah, the, yeah I had it down to a fucking science. It was like, all, all right, right, here's the shit you need. Here's how you're going to get through the first couple of days. <laughs> Don't get too fucked up. Here's what you need to get your way around, and here's how you get the fuck out right. <laughs> before you get swarmed by like everyone trying to leave the festival grounds and shit. That's great, and it was great. You know, it was it was really good to be able to write that stuff. And then I started doing a lot more uh, movie review writing and editorials, and uh, he started having me coming up with stuff like columns and ideas for you know ongoing uh things and it was it was really cool he had me helping with some of his film production because he was doing short videos for the chud show for a while and i'd come in and i'd do set work i'd you know help with uh basically everything that needed to be done and then i'd just be either you know holding the fucking boom mic or working on lighting or whatever Mm -hmm. you know so there was a lot of that going on in the late 2000s And then I started uh, working more uh, focused on supporting different projects that were coming out financially Mm -hmm. in whatever means that I could and getting producer credits. So while I was doing entertainment journalism, I was trying to financially help movies get made. Mm -hmm. And then I really had a huge turn when I helped out, you know, for I Like to Paint Monsters and then uh, got into the dark art community even deeper than I already was mm-hmm. because, you know, I was just a fan before being part of right. what we have from growing up with like heavy metal album covers and Giger books and uh, horror book covers, you know, that I used to love. I, I really connected with the dark art community and felt like it was a great community to lift everybody up. Right. So I was, you know, kind of like imbued with a confidence that I can do some great shit because I have incredible people that I'm part of. Right. And I wound up, uh, helping get, uh, filmmaker Jan Svankmeyer's, uh, final feature film made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for everyone who knows Jan Svankmeyer, I mean, we all know him as an incredible Czech surrealist filmmaker and a, you know, godfather of stop motion and, uh, avant-garde filmmaking. Um, a lot of people know him for his adaptation of Alice, which if you've ever seen the uh, really unique uh, Alice stop motion, that's his. Yeah. And then he's done a ton of other incredible feature films, um, one of which is one of my favorites. It's a combination of Marquis de Sade and uh, Edgar Allan Poe, and it's called Lunacy. Oh, wow. And I always recommend everyone check that out. And uh, that was one of the first movies I bought when I got out to Germany around 2006. And it was like just wonderful because i'd known about him for forever i mean i had seen one of his documentaries uh shorts called breakfast and oh, yeah. it just became like an instant That's a great one i love it i love it so much and it's it's just so fascinating on the first watch but it's always great to revisit yeah and, uh he he had me come out to prague for the premiere of his final feature-length film insect which is Kind of very uh, Kafka-esque, but it's a story written by a different author talking about a lot of the issues that were going on in Czech in the period that he wrote this play. 
and about people just trying to survive, but almost uh, skittering around like insects, you know, literally and psychologically, uh, just to be able to irk through life and relate to each other. And very much uh, themes of like, you know, corrupt people will eat their own and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fascinating film and it's great. And I went out for the premiere and it was just like, I'm, I'm here. I'm right where I need to be. So right after that, I saw an opportunity to volunteer for some of these guys who are making these documentaries that are out right now, the in search of darkness and in search of tomorrow. And I just did the same thing that I did when I started off with Chud. I was like, I'm here, whatever you need me, I'm on it. And I just put myself out there, not being worried about getting paid, not, you know, to make a deal or try to, you know, do any shit like that. And I just, you know, got the chance to keep working and working. And uh, I brought my skills to the table because I had spent years interviewing talent and doing all this production coordination Mm -hmm. and, you know, just doing whatever I could. And then that was it. It was like, okay, you're now in a producer's role. So I've just continued with that. And it's just, you know, doing one project after another. And what's crazy is that I kind of have my next like five years booked out. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've created Sedega Films, uh, and I've founded that, and I've founded uh, Great Grey Beast Productions with my producing partner, Jonathan Barkan, who I'm working with on Mental Health and Horror. And we've got offers that we've accepted for some different projects that are in development that uh, one of them I'm really excited about, uh, we're going to be announcing here in August. Excellent. And then we've got some really big work in December of this year and then in April of next year. Um, but before that stuff, uh, the most important thing – and the December thing is partially related to mental health and horror. But yeah, we're in production right now. We're doing mental health and horror documentary. We've got it set for a release in March. Oh, cool. And we've already filmed a good chunk of interviews and have the edit going, and it's just great. Like, I love the fact that we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's got, you got to be having so much fun. I mean, I I just want to make the point because, you know, a common thing you hear is uh, never work for free. You know, always 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 get paid for the work you do. Yeah, I've heard that a million times. It's like okay, that's true. I think when you get to a certain level, that may be true when you get to a certain level. But you know, there's I I can't tell. I mean, I did so much free shit early on when I was establishing myself. I would do. You know, you want to be. You want you want to like you said. You want to bring your talents to the table. You want to make yourself invaluable. You want to make yourself. You want to show people that you're, you know, you've you're, you've got something to offer, and yeah. you know, I, I it's 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 a great strategy. I I am not one of those like never do anything for free. I like I said, it's it's as your it's a great way to establish volunteering is a great way to establish yourself, make connections, and get get an opportunity to show what you can do. You know, and it's like you, you got to be willing to do that. You got to be willing to do that to be successful because, like, look at you know, you did all that stuff and it led to you being a producer, a movie producer. So it's like, <laughs> you know, this is you hear stories a lot about people volunteering or just asking to help out on a movie, doing whatever, you know, and, and uh, those are the people that make it. 
Yeah, you know? I, I encourage it. I mean, I, I think about, you know, volunteering for work is just as important as volunteering for charity. Right. And, you know, I put years while I was doing stuff into volunteering just because I wanted to right. out of, you know, uh, a care for NPR. I would do like NPR radio uh, calling in oh, cool. uh, pledge drives and stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, like when I was in Florida, I think it was WNUF, uh, was a station and I, I'd always, you know, uh, loved doing the radio thing too. Like mm-hmm. even when I was doing live music before I did the whole military thing, I was going over and, uh, sitting in and I still have a couple of tapes. Like that's one of the things that I left in that trunk in the back of that car after I got rid of all my shit. <laughs> I've got some old like radio broadcast stuff, of, oh, cool. you know me doing that because my, my grandparents just encouraged the shit out of that. And I, I really have to give it to them to, you know, kind of help, I don't know, uh, clarify why I have the work ethic that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had a positive influence growing up when I was in the middle of having a lot of really like shitty stuff happening. Right. And they kind of saw what they thought I could thrive in and tried to encourage me in that. So even when I was trying to like write essays about uh, Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft and Bradbury and like advanced placement, you know, English classes before getting kicked out and having to go back to regular placement English in high school, <laughs> uh, because I, I kind of I, I did. I sort of did rebel against the curriculum uh, in a couple of classes. Right. I was like well, I don't want to fucking write about Aldous Huxley again. I've been doing that for the last four years. I want to write about Lovecraft. And right. <laughs> then I would clash, and then I'd be like, well, fuck your homework. And I would get thrown back into you know, the lower oh, yeah? level uh, English stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it. I wasn't trying to be, like, petulant and arrogant and narcissistic and stuff like that, but I felt like what I really cared about and, you know, what meant a lot to me, especially when it related to family and me growing up and having supportive people, uh, it, it being like shit on by educators and people who felt like it was beneath them. Right. Uh, yeah, was yeah. a big issue for me, you know? So it, it was like, plus oh, every kid uh, goes through that, goes through that, yeah. you know, you get your stage and you're a teenager <laughs> where you just think, you know, everything. Nobody knows anything. (laughs) I I, I look back at this example specifically, and I know I was right. Right. So, (laughs) well, I always fuck you. I want to write about Edgar Allan Poe. Right. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. You know, they're they're going for the overall. You know, they're going for the majority. I I remember, but I, I, I have, I always tell the story about how I uh, was painting in my art advanced placement art class, and my teacher was like. Don't mix, don't use black. I kept mixing black to darken my colors. She's like, don't use black. Use the complementary color to to, great, to darken your colors. And I was like, no, I have to use black. And uh, and I would, <laughs> and I always would clash with her on that. And then I got, then I became an artist. What like uh, twenty years later, I became yeah. a professional. I was like, oh, she was right. She was right about that. <laughs> and I was just being a dick. But I do. I still do mix black when appropriate, because sometimes you do need to mix black. But uh, but but you also honor color theory, and you get why she was coming right, from right. that. Yeah, yeah. She was trying to you teach know. me kind of the right way to the, the proper way to do it. But uh, but I think that's you know that's kind of not uncommon in kids that are like self motivated that actually care. That's that's the bummer thing is that you know you're making a fuss because you cared about what you were doing. 
Yeah, just like, like I gave a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted to do something good. You want to do something you're passionate about. And so that's, you know, I think that's definitely something that teachers should. Uh, I think some teachers do that too. They see a kid that's really passionate and they'll like bend the rules for them a little bit to let them yeah. follow their thing, you know? I, I got that a couple of times and I was thankful for that. But then there were all the times when, you know, I was being forced to write about Great Gatsby and shit. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I don't want to do this again. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just watched Evil Dead 2 the other night. I had a great time talking about the Mountains of Madness with my buddy's dad. I want to, you know, get into some fun stuff. But, no, yeah. I, I totally, again, it's like, you know, you always say about uh, art. And how honoring the old masters is extremely important, whether you like them or not. Right. Uh, and, you know, there, there's very much of that. But it's also a thing, too, where, like, when you have people who feel like they are the gatekeepers for art and for uh, expression and for literature and cinema and, you know, uh, music and everything – and they're just shitting all over stuff that some people really find uh, right. important value yeah. in. Yeah, you know, definitely. it's like that's a big part of the discussion with mental health and horror as well, is that this isn't a genre that should lend itself to being abused by anyone just because you like it. Right. And we want that message to get across, too, that it's OK to like horror and it's OK to talk about horror. And it's fine to be able to walk into the workplace at any age or walk into school and wear that love for horror on your shoulder and not get treated like a piece of shit yeah. or be yeah. ostracized right. or be, you know, uh, demeaned. Yeah, and and yeah. I, I got to ask real quick. I think I saw Baby come in. What's that? Oh, Baby, baby Girl. She, yeah, she's she's here. She's <laughs> snoring. She's, she's the There's going to be some snoring in the background for sure. <laughs> Always makes me happy to see little kids <laughs> running around. Yeah. It's so good. But yeah, yeah, man. Like, it's really important to me that if someone who's, you know, dealing with some tough shit in their life uh, loves horror and it's there for them, that they're not treated worse because of it. Yeah. And if, you know, this is a conversation that I've had with uh, Jonathan a ton of times, and I'm really thankful for him to be bringing this uh, to me for us to, you know, put into development and make the film. Uh, and, you know, as a creator and the writer and the director of it, I mean, he's been great uh, this whole time. And again, mm. the whole team's been incredible. But we've had this talk about, you know, if there's someone and it doesn't matter where they are, they could be in the middle of the country, they could be in L.A., they could be in New York, they could be halfway around the world who loves horror movies and gets so much out of them. Because it helps them get through every day or mm -hmm. whatever they're dealing with or struggling with. You know, we want this documentary to be for them. We right. want them to be able to watch this and connect with it and walk away from it going, it's going to be okay. Right. Yeah, this is the, you know, a similar to the Dark Art Society mission statement part of it yeah. anyway, too, is like, it's okay to like this stuff. Doesn't mean you're a weirdo. Or if you are, if if you are a weirdo, it means you're a weirdo in a good way. Um, exactly, and that's why we have a huge dark art presence in the documentary yeah. too, because it relates so much. There are so many people yeah, in the dark, dark art world yeah. who have this understanding and have this philosophy and can speak on it. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exciting. I'm excited about it. Um, so, so when is when does the 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 shoot shooting finish wrap up? Yep. So we get to picture wrap in January. We've got the big finale in December. 
Uh, we've kind of talked about it, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. We haven't done the huge major announcement yet, like you know, revealing the poster or the dates or anything. Uh, but, uh, Simon Boswell, uh, who is someone that I'm also really honored to be working with, who, oh, he's awesome. you know, I, I love the fact that he was on the dark arts Society know, podcast so cool. and talking about his history. That That's was a great episode. My, was so, like, so many awesome memories of his, like <laughs> seeing Rolling Stones with grandma and like, yeah, that was amazing. He, he's such an interesting guy. He was great at great interview. Thanks for setting that up too. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea you guys were going to go down the rabbit hole of like, the pub scene and England at the time <laughs> right. that punk was coming around and how yeah. he was one of the like 30 guys that was in the first, uh, sex pistols show audience. Yeah. And... Crazy. I had no idea. I had no idea. And, and it's just too cool too, that like you are both connected by work because mm-hmm. of, uh, what was it? Uh, Lord of illusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had done the score for, and then you had done some work on yourself and it's just yeah. like, that's too awesome. But Simon, uh, one of the things that we're going to be finishing the mental health and horror, uh, shoot doing is we are going to be filming him live in concert. And oh, cool. that's going to be part of the documentary in the third act in the big catharsis, uh, where we have people in front of the camera talking about their love for horror and how it's helped them talking about the wrap up of their stories. If they bring something up in the first act and then it's talked about a little bit in depth in the second and then the resolution, uh, that sort of sense of hope and ending. And we're also shooting a bunch of B roll at conventions throughout the year. And then that concert footage showing horror fans just fucking having a blast at a live show, listening to Simon's music. And then Claudio Simonetti from Goblin. Oh, so, excellent. excellent. Yeah, it's going to be something that we're really, really excited for. And while we're in London, we're going to be shooting all of our people who are contributing from Amazing. the UK. Amazing. So we do picture wrap in January. It goes through legal and then it gets its premiere in March. And excellent. Yeah, from now until uh, December, we are spending the entire rest of the year shooting. It's got to be a blast, man. It would yeah. be so cool if you could get Stephen King in an interview with Stephen King. I'm sure it's impossible, oh, though. But <laughs> you know, Stephen King, with... if you could hear us, be in this movie. I mean, it, Stephen King would be kind of perfect, really. It comes down to the support. Like the thing is, the more successful the documentary is, the more chance we have to be able to get more icons right. in front of the camera. And already we've got like an incredible cast building up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got Linnea Quigley, we've got Kelly Maroney, we've got you, we've got a ton of people from the Dark Art Society, uh, which is just amazing in the dark art community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a great uh, cast of mental health professionals, including Dave Sherman, who's officially taken over the production, and it will now be a Dave Sherman film <laughs> from this point moving forward. So a Fuck Dave Sherman production of mental health and Dave Sherman, plus maybe some other horror stuff. Will be our working title from here on. That's but so great! I can't wait. Seriously, to hear what, like I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Oh man! And the thing too, I mean, with Road to Rehab and everything that you know he has in his background to talk on this subject, yeah, uh, is going to be fascinating. Yeah. And we just did a couple more interviews. We had director Tom McLaughlin in. Oh, who awesome! Did, yeah, I he's mean, he's a fan, just, man. He's totally he's such a fan. He's not like a. Uh, 
a guy who directed horror movies because they're like profitable. He, he's like, from what I've read, he's like a fan of horror. He's like a oh, real, yeah. real fan directing horror films, you know? Yeah, he, he has so much love for horror because it was part of his growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a really tough upbringing, kind of like I did. Like, I had no idea wow. that he was going to be bringing up the stuff that he brought up in so his great. discussion. Because, you know, one thing that we do with all of our interview subjects, uh, you know, everyone who comes in, everyone who wants to talk with us, you know, like we talked about, we've always got that aftercare there in place in case someone, you know, goes a little bit too deep right. and needs some needs some relief and some help. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like with you, we talk to you about your thoughts. We didn't try to pry. We right. didn't try to exploit anything. We weren't like, tell us about the worst abuse you've ever suffered. Right. <laughs> tell us about the time you got the shit beaten out of you for being a horror fan. Right. Tell us about... You know, uh, give us a sexual assault story. Like, never, yeah, no, never. No. It was very respectful. Ever. Yeah. I mean, how was that from your side? Oh, it was great. It was very like, uh, uh, what was the director's name again? Yeah, Jonathan Barkan. Jo- Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan. He, yeah. He was yeah. so like, I don't know. I, I got the, I, I really had the feeling like um, no one was pushing me. And he was, you know, if there Good. was, if there was a question that, that was maybe a little close to the edge of, or of being, you know, uh, triggering or anything. He was like, you don't have to answer, but, and he would, you know, pose the question. He was very, but you don't have to answer. He was super cool. Really put me at ease. He's, he's a great, um, great interviewer. And, um, yeah, I felt really like it was a safe environment. It felt safe, which is, I think, um, great for the film too, because, you know, you, you want to open up in a situation like that more than more than when you're feeling like pressured, you know, like you said, asking questions that are just too, too heavy. You know, when you feel like you're in a safe environment, you want to open up more like you trust, trust the pe- trust people. When you trust the people you're around, you're you're more open to giving deeper answers, you know. Yeah. And that's the whole message of the thing is that, you know, we want to have these real conversations. We don't want to pry. And we absolutely fucking not do – we do not want to like direct the answers or like, you know, shape a false narrative of like, okay, uh, the first 20 minutes of the movie, we are going to ask everyone who does an interview, uh, tell us about this trauma. Tell us about this abuse. Tell us about this depression. And we're not going to drag that out of you. We want you to give us – your thoughts on the subject and the real thing about it is you know how does horror help people and if we are trying to target you with questions to get stuff out of you that's going to you know be edited in this exploitative way yeah that's gonna go that's not gonna help anybody that's gonna go against the whole premise of the the movie really you know yeah and you're not gonna trust us and in the Mm. end you're gonna fucking hate us Mm -hmm. and you know (laughs) i'll i'll be honest like i've worked with some people who have some uh you know public image issues with quite a few people in our industry where you talk to them and it's like yeah fuck those guys so right. we don't want to be that, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've learned in many different avenues how to do shit the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And with this, we're doing, we're doing it the right way. And that's our whole goal because we want people to benefit from this. We don't yeah. want people to be exploited and that's in front of the camera, behind the camera and then in front of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just feels like you guys are doing this the, the right way. Your tensions are, you know, uh, everything's done in good faith. You're, you're not 
bullshitting. It's it's like the right way to 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 make a movie, especially a movie like this. So I'm excited about it. I got a good feeling about it. I think it's gonna be a. I think it's gonna be big. I just I just got a got a feeling about it. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah, in the first few days of the Kickstarter being live, we've already gotten over. 200 backers we've gotten articles out on fangoria fangoria presented a really good panel with my director uh jonathan and my co-executive producer david lawson jr for chattanooga film festival where they talked about the whole intent of mental health and horror and yeah room morgue has published stuff about a slash film you wow. know, Slash Film just did a thing today, and uh, we've got more press and coverage and publicity and just even partners that are in the, you know, entertainment spectrum of people who do video reviews about some of our favorite films, giving us shout outs and becoming affiliates with us. And it's like the more support that we get for this the better it's going to end up being. Yeah, and then right. we can see what we can do, you know, talking to guys like Joe King and Stephen King and yep. Clive Barker and, you know, maybe uh, some some incredible uh, people from the horror world, but also people who are part of the mental health uh, medical provider industry and just, you know, the fans that want to come out for this. Because yeah. as we're doing these convention, uh, you know, shoots, we're also getting time to talk with fans and be like, hey, tell us uh, whatever you want to about the relationship between if horror movies can help people and their mental health. And yeah. we want everyone to, you know, be a part of this uh, and feel like they're doing something good and be fulfilled from it. Son of Monster Palooza is coming up, you know, in October. Yeah. Yeah, and it's can... on on my birthday too. Oh, like... it's on your birthday. It's on the same night as my solo show too, or the <laughs> the ninth is October ninth is my show. It's the weekend of the uh, oh man, yeah, Monster October Blizzard. October eighth uh, is my birthday. I've already talked to Deborah about it, and I'm like, can I go to LA on October ninth? <laughs> and she's like, okay, we gotta be home for your birthday. So yeah, Shane's gonna be there. Uh, you know, all that stuff's gonna get announced. Um, Exciting. Yeah, Santa Palooza uh, is again. You know, if if we have the support and we have yes, the you have demand. to you have to raise the money here. So that's what we yeah. let's not forget. Yeah. There's a Kickstarter happening. So anybody yeah, who's we, list- we want to be there. Yeah, anybody who's listening to this, if you search, I mean, I'm going to put it in the description. Um, but if you search uh, mental health and horror Kickstarter, I'm sure it'll come up, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. all you have to do is go on Kickstarter and search mental health and horror, and it comes up. And we had something special happen today that was something I had no idea What's that? Uh, we were going to get. We wound up becoming a Projects We Love. From oh, excellent. That's great. That's amazing. So That's going to be we're, huge. We're now featured. We've got 25 days left in the campaign. That's we're so five great. days in. We've become a Projects We Love, and we've got the, the support of uh, Kickstarter to highlight us as a documentary that they want to see get made. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. So so you, everyone listening to this, this is your opportunity. 25 days left this is your opportunity to support and help make this thing happen and uh, if you you know if you just don't have any money, at least share the project. If you do have a few bucks, throw in and share the project cuz that's free. Uh, let's put the word out and get this thing, you know, triple funded that would be awesome because the more money they get the better the movie's going to be and and the more publicity it gets the better 
guests they can get and interviews. So, and, and I'll tell you one thing that you know uh, we intend to do with potentially being overfunded is make it available in more territories yeah. and give it more uh, weight to the releases so people can get it in different languages oh, and excellent. be able to, you know, again, have more insights from more people. And it's all about, you know, our, our caring for the subject matter, but also the community too, because we'll be putting together something very similar to what I've been doing for the last year and a half where we bring people in for on-camera discussions and Zoom calls if we want to have any of the backers join us oh, yeah. and do the whole not watch party movie thing but just discussion like, all right, we're talking to Chet today and if you want to ask him any questions, go for it. We're going to moderate it and we're going to have a conversation about the subject matter for the doc. So Excellent. that's stuff that we can kick off after the campaign ends on July 23rd and have that be a big part of the whole thing because we want people to feel like they're involved and yeah. we genuinely do want people to be involved right. and keep them along with the production and the news until they can finally see it and enjoy what we put together. And yeah. again, I, I, I love the level that the team is operating at. Like the quality so far, again, Shane's filming the whole team behind the editing and all the graphics. I mean, what we're putting together looks amazing. Oh, so cool. I can't wait to see. I just want to tell everyone listening too that, you know, you know that I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a bullshitter. And, um, and, and, uh, I know, you know, I know Andrew personally, I know Shane personally, I know from, I know these guys are legit. This is not, uh, um, they're not just, they're, they're, they're they walk the walk. They're not just, well, I, I am you know. also paying you in a lifetime supply of Choco tacos. So <laughs> we do have that deal. Just full disclosure. I mean, come on. That's, that's <laughs> no, seriously, Chet, though. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do. I do anything for a, a lifetime supply of Choco tacos, even lie to my audience. But no, I ser- do anything for a full lifetime supply of Zellos. I'm just saying, let's get <laughs> some pizza going. I just had some yesterday. Oh my God. So good. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank yeah. So the, the, this is, this is legit. This is a real this is a real great really great project and it's real and you know it's an opportunity really it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to be involved and to be part of it and to and to help help this thing happen be you know help bring this into the world so you know click the link in the description uh search mental health and horror on kickstarter and support it if you can it's going to be sounds like it's going to be amazing and i i hope that we can help make it more amazing with with you know more more support and publicity so um thank you yeah man. yeah thanks for coming on it was really great i mean great i i talk to you often but it's great to sit down for you know an hour and a half and 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 hear hear about the nuts nuts and bolts of this project because i'm really i'm totally behind it i totally believe in it i think it's important and uh yeah so thanks for thanks for taking the time to come on it was awesome to have yeah you. yeah no i i'm honored to be on uh every single time there's a chance to get to chat um and again you know for everyone listening in the dark art community uh i really do value and love being a part of this community uh i've made so many friends because of this i've been exposed to so much uh art that means a lot to me and uh to be able to do this anytime it's it's always always a great time Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. Excellent. All right. Well, you know the deal. We got to say goodbye to the audience because I started the, this dumb thing and I can't, I can't stop for some reason. So 
So, so, so say goodbye, audience. Goodbye. Goodbye, audience.